want to welcome you, welcome our satellites. Thank you for jumping in with us. We are in Romans chapter 5. If you have a Bible, turn there. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. I'm going to say that again with Romans 8, but I'm going to, but for now, uh, Romans 5. It's, it, it's, it's the place where Paul begins to turn a corner because what he's been doing through Romans 1 through 4 is he is laying out for us this deep doctrine, this deep theology. He set out his thesis in chapter 1, right? And he says, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. It reveals the righteousness of God. And then he goes on and he starts to explain that gospel. And he wants us to know the stuff that we've been talking about. That our justification, remember justification is our approval with God, and we know we're all trying to be justified. <laughs> we're all looking for things to justify our existence, right? Whether it's our career, whether it's um, what feels like success to us, whether it's relationships, we're all trying to justify our existence, and the beauty <laughs> of, we got light, um, <laughs> For those who are watching on a video, they're like, why is everyone clapping at that? But <laughs> light came up. Um, but, he, um, but Paul is wanting us to know that our justification is not by works. Our approval is not by what we've done. Our approval comes simply by his work and our faith in that work, right? And we, he lays out, um, you know, sin and, and what God has done through Christ to rescue us from that. We talked last week about one of the big ones, imputed righteousness. What good news is that, right? That's such good news. That we are by grace what Christ is by nature. That all that is true of Jesus is true of us by his grace, right? And so Paul's been laying all this deep doctrine, all this uh, theology out for us. And now he's going to turn the corner because he doesn't just want us to be informed. He wants us to be transformed. And it's really easy, friends. We can come to Bible studies. We can sit in the pew in our church and get a lot of information and not be changed by that information. Right? And Paul wants us to be changed. He wants that theology, good, rich, right theology, always leads to doxology, which is worship. That we are worshipers. And our worship isn't just singing songs. Our worship isn't just pra praising God in, you know, in our journal or whatever. But our worship, our worship is the way that we live. The, our worship is the way that we act out in our life. And so Paul is now in Romans Five, he's, he's now going to start making it practical. Why does this matter? What difference does it make in our life? And he's going to tell us in Romans 5, he's going to tell us that if we understand our justification, if it has really sunk into us, if, if we truly have placed our faith and our trust in Christ and his work on the cross, it changes us and it changes what we boast in, he tells us. It changes how we, um, how we do our suffering, right? So that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray. Oh, God, would your uh, Holy Spirit instruct us and teach us this morning? 
Would you make yourself and your truth known to us? Would you take that truth and move it from our head into our heart and out into our life, God? Spirit, would you illuminate this word and change us? And I pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, right? Basically, he's, his therefore, what's the therefore? He's looking back at chapters 1 through 4, and he's saying what I just laid out for you is your justification, your approval by faith. Because of this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in grace. At the very foundation of the Christian life is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And we're standing in it. And he says that This justification has given us peace with God. And he's not talking here about a peaceful feeling or a peaceful easy feeling. He's talking about, and this is really important, he's talking about a peaceful reality. He's talking about a peaceful reality. There are other places in scripture where it speaks of the peace of God. But here he says we have peace with God. God, right? We were far from God. We were enemies, the scripture tells us. That's kind of disturbing, but sin is disturbing. We were enemies of God, and because of Christ and his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have been brought near to God. We have gone from being enemies to, Jesus says, we're now friends, right? We've become friends of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through through whom we have gained access. We've gained that access through Christ. This peace with God is accomplished by God, right? Not by us, by him. Paul goes on. Again, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Our boasting, where we gain our confidence, that's really what the the idea behind this boasting is. It's what a um, sports team does before they go out on the field, right? They get in a huddle and they jump up and down and they say how awesome they are, right? And when you hear a, a, a an athlete interviewed, you know, you you they, you never hear the athlete saying like, "Well, I hope I do well. I think I'm going to be okay." I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have a very good game last time, but I hope it works out. No, what we like with our athletes is we like for them to say, I feel confident. I feel good. I've got this. I know I can do this, right? That's a boasting that builds them up so they can face the battle. And so what Paul is saying here is this this hope, which the language there is not really so much like, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I please, 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 I hope it happens. The language there is really more in the Greek of a conviction, a hope-filled certainty. He's saying that, um, that we're, our confidence 
what we boast in, where we gain our confidence is in the glory of God. Tim Keller says this. He says, the more we experience our peace and access with God, the more that we experience this nearness to God, the more desirous we are to see him face to face. And the more certain and thrilled we become about the prospect of glory and heaven. I've heard people say, I've probably said it myself in my own journey, but like, I don't even care about heaven. Sounds boring to me. Why do I even want to be there? None of my friends are going to be there. I mean, things like that, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, and, and I get that because if all, if all you're thinking about when you think of heaven is people floating on a cloud, having to sing a lot, and you're not really into that, or harp music, or whatever, I get it. Why do you want to spend eternity with harp music? Nothing against harp music, because I actually kind of like it, personally. But, um, but what Keller is saying, and I think what Paul is saying here, is that, is that when we experience this peace, when we experience this nearness to God, we see him more clearly. We experience him in a greater reality. And as that happens, we want more. We want more. And when you want more, and you think of glory, the glory that we experience of God here and now, but the glory that we will experience in what we call heaven, um, the new heaven, the new earth, the, the unhindered experience of God. You want it. You want it. You want to see him face to face. And so, Paul says, our justification transforms our boasting. Our justification transforms our boasting. Where we find our confidence what pumps us up for the day, if you will, right? We're so tempted to fall into this, um, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, gosh darn it, people like me, you know, and, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm going to put post-its all over my, I'm enough, and I'm okay, and I'm good, and, and, and somewhere that just falls short, right? Because I'm not enough, and gosh darn it, I'm not really good enough. And gosh darn it, not everyone does like me. And all those things. But God, he likes me. He doesn't just love me. He likes me. He approves of me. He invites me into relationship with him. He's made a way for that. And so where do I gain my confidence Unfortunately, so often I just want to fall back into the things that seem natural. My successes, my career, my friendships, my relationships, my family, my pedigree, whatever it is that you want. But here is where I want to live. I want to live boasting, finding my confidence, not in all of those things, not in how you see me, how God sees me, right? in his nearness. What will pump me up for the day? Oh, the nearness of God. That's why, even if it's just five minutes, that in the morning, that we could just sit, even five minutes, 
crack open a psalm right there in the middle of your Bible and let the words just fall over you. Just to sit say, God, remind me this morning of your approval. Remind me of how much you like me. And then the second thing that Paul puts before us, not just that justification transforms our boasting, but it transforms our suffering, right? To understand this approval of God, to understand the goodness of God, to understand the beauty of God, transforms our suffering, and we know that we will have suffering. Jesus said, you will have suffering, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? You're going to have suffering. That is a reality. I love, to be honest, that we have a God who suffered. We don't have a God who can't relate to our suffering. We have a God who, who came and was misunderstood. We have a God who came and experienced rejection from his closest friends. We have a God who came and experienced abuse. We have a God who came and was experienced really what would be sexual abuse, to hang naked publicly on a cross. We have a God who enters into our suffering. Paul says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. That's good. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm going to talk about that next week, but um, I want to talk about this suffering. And I want to say this, this is not masochism. We do not go looking for suffering. We do not take pride in our suffering. There's sometimes, I think sometimes in the Christian world where there, there can be this kind of almost like I suffer more thing. Or, or the way that if, if God's in it, it must be the hardest way. Um, that's, that, this is not what Paul's talking about. You don't have to go looking for suffering, friends. It'll come. It'll come. This is not Pollyanna either. This is not, well, I'm suffering, but God is good. Okay. You know, I don't know. God works all things together for the good for those who love him. Woohoo. Stop that. Nobody needs that. Because what did Jesus do when he saw his friend Lazarus had died and he saw the suffering of Lazarus' family and friends. He wept. He wept. He joined in the suffering. He joined in the sorrow. He joined in the pain, right? Because of our peace with God, it doesn't mean that we're Pollyanna but it does mean that we relate differently to suffering because of the certainty of our hope that we have in Christ. Our suffering takes on a new dimension for us. That's what Paul says. He lays out this chain reaction, right? He says, first, verse 3, we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering 
produces perseverance. And I love actually what this word there means, this perseverance. The only way we can persevere probably is, is, is through this. The, the language in that word is really a single-mindedness. Because suffering produces single-mindedness. Suffering produces focus. You see, when we face suffering, it reorients our priorities. When you face real suffering, I mean real, the deep stuff, suddenly you ask yourself, why am I working so many hours? Suddenly you ask yourself, what, what are my priorities? Suddenly you ask yourself what really matters in life, right? And you reorient yourself, and that's what suffering does. It focuses us. The second thing Paul says, um, that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, or the language there, testedness. Because character is produced by being tested and coming through it, right? There's something about being tested and coming through it that builds us up in a new way. There's something, there's a, there's a deep delight that happens when you face the test and you come through it. Maybe not perfectly, but you come through it, right? You don't just give in like you might have done before. You do it differently. And it produces in us this character from this testing. And then, of course, the third thing. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Suffering drives us to our ultimate hope. This is where that focus, the single-mindedness comes. What am I really hoping in? Who am I going to really put my certainty and my confidence in? Ultimately, it will be God. My ultimate hope is Him. My ultimate hope is Him. And that hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I, I would love to say more about suffering, but as I was even reading about this and preparing for this uh, talk, I realized that I have a friend who has a whole lot more to say about this than I do. And will say it so much better than I can say it. Um, unfortunately, uh, in part of her suffering, uh, she has lost her ability to speak clearly. And so I had the privilege of meeting with she and her husband and then going over Monday and just uh, taking the iPhone and filming her, sharing her story, flipping over some cards, okay? She's gonna tell her story just on some cards. So we're gonna watch uh, Charlotte's story right now.
Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for sharing your story uh, with us, allowing us to be a little bit on your journey. And uh, I left Charlotte's house. I would live about 15 minutes from her place. And it took me like an hour to get home because I just felt this reorientation, this invitation of God to realign, to refocus, to be single-minded, to ask, where is my hope? So thank you for teaching us, Charlotte. I want to sit for a minute. I just want to sit before we head off to our groups. I just want to sit let the Lord speak to you. Speak to me. Father, would you take the profound testimony and story of Charlotte and transform us. And we pray for Charlotte. Thank you for her and her courage. Oh God, we ask, would you come? Comfort her. Heal her. Have your way and your will with her, Lord Jesus. Realign our hearts. Refocus our attention. Lord, I pray that those things that matter too much, that shouldn't matter, we could release to you. And would you help us to hear your whispers of what really matters? And would we align our life with those things? We thank you for the hope of glory. We thank you for the promise of the day we will see you face to face. And what a beautiful day that will be.
We love you. We need you. Amen.